I think uh, are being done and being achieved. Um, was anyone here last week for part one when Sue did a bit of an introductory message? Um, she told us about a, a rather traumatic experience that she had with a dentist that, that uh, if I'm quoting Sue's expressions, she said had hair coming out of his nose, right? Um, so I was really curious to find this dentist. Um, and I don't know about you, would you like to see the, the, the gentleman that she had serving him, uh, serving her in the dent? Well, anyway, yeah, I think we've got a picture uh, that'll come up in a moment. So, so apparently this is what it looks like when you have hair that comes out of your nose. You know, you, you could probably turn them into some, some handlebar uh, moustaches. Sue said that was a little bit of an exaggeration. He looked more accurately like this. She said that's not exactly, okay, maybe the ears aren't accurate, but she said the nose hairs were something like that. So I don't know about you, but I'd probably be walking out of the, 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 the surgery at that point as well, looking for someone with a little more hygiene. There's a dentist in our church, actually, who said that he's heard about this guy. So apparently he's famous. I still want to meet him one day. Um, anyway, that was, that, was, uh, that was rather interesting for me, but we're going to be tackling uh, part two, or at least the beginnings of part two. I didn't get very far this morning, and, and frankly, I'm not optimistic this evening. So I'm going to just, just, just try and get a little, bit of a, a little bit of a heart across, and then I'll finish it off next week. So those of you that are following on version, you probably need to stop right now, um, otherwise you might get frustrated. I mean, the first few verses we'll get to, but the rest we're going to unpack in more detail uh, next week. But... Um, just to give you a little bit of a, a quick reminder, as a church, we have a vision statement uh, that we really do actually buy into and believe and are trying to live out. It's on our wall uh, in the cafe, but obviously we want it to be in our hearts far more than we want it to just be up on a wall somewhere. And so as you can see from behind me, we, we really do believe that we are here to help reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. Um, and that's not just some neat phraseology. We really do believe that to know Jesus is to know life. In fact, I'd go so far as to say, if you, if you haven't yet found life, I would argue that you haven't yet found Jesus. You may have found a church, you may have found serving, you may have found religion, but I would argue that you haven't yet found Jesus. And that's not discouraging, that's me encouraging you to carry on. That's me encouraging you to not give up, to press in, to keep seeking, to keep, to keep saying, God, if you're there, please would you reveal yourself to me? Uh, you know, just being real, being honest with God. But I can't encourage you enough to actually know Jesus is to know life. There is something life-giving. I can tell you now that there were many people that left you after the weekend and people that I think left you this morning that I, th- I honestly think just felt lighter and they felt like they had, had some oxygen again and there was some hope again and we could breathe again and we could just, just, just push into another, another season. That is when we connect with Jesus. Um, I honestly don't believe it's hype. I really believe it's hope. When we truly meet with Jesus. Church alone could just be hype, but Jesus is hope. There's, there's life. And so we're here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. And so if we can have it back up again, as we go on, we invite you to join us as we know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And by the way, I probably wanna add, maybe you know, just on the wall, put like one of those little arrow keys, you know, arrows in and say His purpose. We wanna help people find His purpose or discover His purpose. We're not trying to get you onto our agenda. We're not trying to get you to discover our purpose for you. And, and to be quite honest, we're not trying to get you to find or discover your purpose. We're not, trying to, we're not trying to help you create your purpose for your life. We actually believe that to discover why you were made, we need to go to the maker. Yeah. He, he really does have a purpose. And it's not always just in the future somewhere. Like God's actually got a purpose for today. 
God's actually got a purpose for the season that you're in. And I tend to think that too many Christians get distracted with God's will for my life instead of God's will for today. And we can almost make an idol out of God's will for my life while ignoring God's will for today. And we have the sense of when I, then I. And God's like, no, no, actually where you are, right now, at school, at work, in your company, in your family, in your church, in your community, on that same bus route that you take every day, in that same taxi queue that you waited. No, no, I've got a purpose for you. And I, and I believe it's impossible to fulfill the purpose that God has for the one day if we don't fulfill the purpose that God has for today and for tomorrow. And I think we need to almost stop elevating the purpose for sometime in the future as though that's more important than the purpose for today. Surely God's purpose for right now is actually more important than God's purpose for one day because it's right now, right? Imagine we ignore the people that God's put in front of us right now because we're still daydreaming about the future. God's like, hey, I've put people in front of you right now. And so we want to discover His purpose for our lives. And, and, as, we, and as we continue in knowing God, because actually this is, an, this is an ongoing journey. Like you don't get to graduate. We keep getting to know God better. We keep finding and walking in our freedom. We keep discovering God's revealing purpose. As we go along, we will keep making a difference. I really believe that that's the adventure that God has called us to, that that's, that that's the life that God has called us to live. And I think that when we're living that life one day at a time, not, not getting too distracted with the future, I'm not saying don't have dreams, don't, don't have goals, I think we should be working towards stuff, but let's also be present enough in today, I think then you'll be able to put your head on the pillow at night and honestly be able to say, I was made for this. Like I was made for today. Today, the day I just had, I was made for that. Feels pretty good. Is it possible that that's what God wants for us? I'll tell you another dream I have, and you've heard me say this before if you've been around for a while, is that as we keep, keep engaging with God through those steps, knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, make a difference, my, my, like, my big dream would be for more and more people as they walk with God, to find themselves saying, I never knew it could be like this. I never knew it could be like this. I never knew it could be, I mean, I mean like I'm tired, but it's a healthy tired. I never knew it could be like this. Like I've given out, but I'd give more. I never knew it could be like this. Like I'm going through challenges and I'm dealing with stuff, but I never knew it could be like this. I honestly believe that that is the kind of relationship that we are invited into, and that's why I believe that joy is more significant than what many of us realize. Joy is far more than happiness. It's far more than an emotion. Happiness is about perfect circumstances. Joy is about a person. It's about a relationship with a person. It's not just enjoying a good church service. It's not just listening to a great podcast or enjoying a good worship song, although all of that can, can, can fall into that, but it's about enjoying a relationship with Jesus. I actually think that if the enemy can rob you of your joy, he can rob you of your destiny. I think joy is the oxygen of the kingdom. I think joy is what energizes us. It's what keeps us going, even when we are struggling, even when we're being stretched. It's an anchor in the storm. It is a, it is a place of calm in the chaos. There's just something 
to having joy that is found in God. Again, I'm not talking about, I'm saying this goes so far beyond an emotion and it goes so far beyond circumstances. And this is what I believe God invites us to. This is what God offers us. And this might sound strange to you and please make sure you don't misunderstand what I'm saying because it's not meant to come across negatively. This is actually meant to come across positively. Except it'll sound negative at first. I don't know. And Sue, Sue would agree with me and you can ask her later on. And those that have known us for a long time would probably tend to agree. There has seldom been a week in the last 20 years where there isn't some reason. I'm talking about within our immediate family, our extended family, just that. I mean, forget, forget other challenges and church and just life and people. There's hardly been, and there's hardly been a week where there isn't a cause for concern, for stress, for worry, for pressure. Like very rare. So Jason, are you saying like this week? Yes. Last week? Yes. The week before that? Yeah. The month? Yes, 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 yes. To protect the guilty. I won't tell you all of the stuff, okay? I'm just telling you that it's very rare that there's a week where there wouldn't be reason for us to lose sleep, where there wouldn't be reason for us to feel some kind of stress. And, and, I, and I felt that God eventually brought us to a point where He said to me, Jason, stop waiting for the circumstances to change. You've got to change. Stop, stop waiting for, for peace out there. You can find peace in here with Him. We actually did a series a few years ago. In fact, I think we might have carried it on throughout the year. As Yes, we did. We carried it on throughout the year. A theme for the year called Stronger, where we actually encourage people to, to maybe change their prayers from God, remove obstacles and challenges to no, no, make me stronger. Help me to be stronger, God. And the strength I'm talking about is not through sheer willpower. It's through the Holy Spirit's power. It's not through perfect circumstances, it's through a person. It's not through sheer grit alone, although grit is important, it's because we have a revelation and we have a continuing revelation day after day after day after day from spending personal time with Him that we have a God on our side who has already won the victory, who, who is able to take what the enemy meant for harm and turn it into good. And I believe that one of the natural, like you almost can't help it, one of the fruits of this relationship with Him will be joy. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can only fake it so long with willpower. And that's what Sue was referring to last week when she was trying to manufacture this fake joy when she went to this traumatic dentist. Like, like I can only fake it for so long, but then something goes wrong. You hear about another tragedy. You face another trial. Someone dies. Something happens that is, that is just completely out of your control. And, and for some people, and some of you could even be here this evening where you have no idea how tomorrow is gonna work out. And I'm not even speaking metaphorically. I mean, you could really be sitting here worrying right now about tomorrow. Yet God says, hey, I've got tomorrow. I really do. I have tomorrow. Trust me today. He says that though weeping may last a night, joy comes in the morning. Now that's speaking metaphorically, so it might not literally be tomorrow morning, so don't phone me if you woke up and the joy wasn't there yet. Okay. Speaking seasonally, 
but the seasons do change. You may be going through a winter, but spring is coming. And I think that we tend to despise winter where God actually wants us to value winter, where God wants us to actually learn things from winter, where God wants us to actually appreciate things that can only be experienced in winter that can't be experienced in springtime or in summertime. That's why at the beginning of the book of James, he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy when you face trials of many kinds because then your faith has an opportunity to grow, to be strengthened, to be purified. Some of us despise the gifts that God is actually giving us through some of the circumstances that we're facing. And God's saying, if you will just draw close to me, you will discover that I'm present in that darkness, in that winter, in that valley. And you may just be surprised at how, as we continue to strengthen that relationship with God, we start to suddenly experience a joy and a peace that passes human understanding. And that's why it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. As we give Him increased influence in our lives, The Bible tells us, Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. Guys, there are days where I try and force self-control or I try and fake self-control or I try and force gentleness and then it doesn't last very long and I'm like, I'm obviously not giving the Holy Spirit enough influence in my life right now. Because if I was, there would be fruit. There are days in the traffic where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, God. I must not be spending enough time with you because I'm not feeling the fruit. I'm feeling something else right now and it's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to emphasize that we need joy and the only way, the source of joy is in a person. Isaiah chapter 61 actually is one of, one of the passages that those four things that I mentioned in our vision statement is actually based on. So, so just, just hang with me for a little bit. And this is in new version if you wanna take a look there as well. But Isaiah chapter 61 verse one says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. This was, this was prophetic of Jesus and Jesus eventually quoted this when he came to earth. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So that means the gospel. The gospel is good news. Jesus, Jesus paid it all he took, he took on a price that we could never pay so that we could experience something that we could never earn. It is good news. If you listen to some Christians, you wouldn't think it's good news, but it is good news. That is the no God part. That's salvation. That's coming into a relationship with God. Then he goes on to say, he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. That's the fine freedom part. That's where God has, that's where Jesus, through what He did at the cross, has unlocked the cell door. But now the prisoner has to step out. He has to walk. That's the difference between God's responsibility and ours. Jesus has done what He can do, but now we have to actually walk out of that prison cell. We have to, we have to shake off the chains because the lock has been undone. And we have to actually walk in that freedom. That is what he means by comforting. So bringing healing to our yesterdays so that we can clear the windscreen and see a little bit more clearly as we look to the, to the future and see what God is. He hasn't just saved us from, but he saved us to. 
something. That is finding freedom. Then he goes on to say that he has sent me to tell those who mourn. I mean, this is just, just, just such beautiful language. That those who mourn, to those who mourn, that the time of the Lord's favour has come. And that was fulfilled, Jesus said, in, in their presence when he was on earth reading this passage. Jesus is the fulfilment of God's favour. What he did at the cross is his fulfilment of God's favour made available to us. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies, there's only one real enemy, by the way, not who you think it is a lot of the time. Verse three, to all who mourn in Israel, look at this. He will give a crown of beauty for ashes. There's this exchange that takes place. This is, this is, this is discovering a new lease on life, a new purpose. He's saying, he's saying I, I am offering you a crown of beauty. In, so you give me your junk, you give me your muck, you give me your ashes, you give me the stuff that you've been mourning and grieving over. I, I wanna give you a crown of beauty, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, it goes on. And this is the making a difference part. They will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for His own glory. Do you remember who they is? The captives, the brokenhearted, the wounded, those that are mourning and grieving, those that have been covered in ash, those that have been wrestling with a spirit of despair. They, they will be like great oaks. He's not saying the super qualified, the long-term Christian, the, the well-educated, the super experienced. He's saying, no, no, they, those, the broken, the previously broken, the previously wounded, the previously hopeless. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. I don't know about you, but that is ridiculously encouraging to me. That is incredibly good news to me. And by the way, I think that's one of the reasons I'm a pastor. You may think it's because it's a salary. It really isn't. <laughs> I had no idea, like no idea. I was in ministry for five years before I came to peace that it wasn't an accident. Like that was never my plan, okay? I just wanted people to experience what I experienced. I really just wanted to help people experience the hope and the grace that I had started to discover in God. This is good news. And, and, I, and I do wanna spend the rest of my life helping people discover good news. Yes, I wanna help people on loads of practical areas, but, but I also wanna help people with hope that lasts for eternity. Going back to verse three for a moment, that's actually what we're talking about in this series, which is joy. Reading from the New International Version, it says, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and this is why I'm using this version because I just love this line, the oil of joy instead of mourning. I really believe that God wants to give you joy where ordinarily there should be mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now this is prophetic language and, and, and in some cases metaphoric language, but, but I do think that sometimes when we focus enough on the dark, when we open ourselves enough to the dark, that it's possible that we can actually, actually possibly open ourselves up to an actual spirit of despair, where, there, where there's a spirit of heaviness, a spirit of hopelessness. And God wants us to close those doors. God wants us to, to 
recalibrate what we fix our minds on, what we fix our hearts on. Because, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the series, what you fix your mind and your heart on will form you. And we're all being formed, whether you like it or not. You are being formed. What you've fixed your thoughts and your heart on this past week has been part of your formation. What we have been fixing our thoughts and our heart on over the past year has been forming who we are becoming. And God is far less concerned with what you get done than who you become. One day when you stand before God, it's gonna be about who you became, not just simply what you did. I believe that this scripture is pointing out to us that joy is not circumstantial, it is spiritual. Beyond circumstances, in the middle of the worst scenarios, we can actually have joy because there's something spiritual that's going on deep on the inside as we connect with God. Not because we had a good church service. Not because I had a good quiet time four months ago. No, no, because I am engaging with God. I am, I am growing in my relationship with Him. And I believe that one of the, the New Testament writers that probably has the most moral authority to actually even talk about this is Paul the Apostle, who wrote many of the New Testament books. Many of them were written from prison. The one I wanna take a look at just for the, for the remaining few minutes is, is found in chapter four of Philippians, the book of Philippians. It's, it's a short little letter that he wrote from prison. These aren't EU standard prisons, by the way. This would have most likely been a dark, damp dungeon. In fact, later on in the same chapter, he says, I know what it is to be cold. I know what it is to be hungry. But I've learned the secret, I think it says in the NIV, the secret of, being cont- of becoming content. And he goes on to say, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I think that if there's anyone that has the moral authority to talk about joy, it is Paul. And what he says to us in verse four is always be full of joy in the Lord. And in case you missed it, I say it again, rejoice. He's saying that we need to be full of joy in the Lord. Now, if we're honest, we know that there are lots of little things that can give us momentary joy. I don't know about you, there are things that make me feel good for a moment. And then I feel like junk. Or there are things that make me, that help me escape for a moment. And it's like, ah, it's just, re-. and then it's like, ugh, I feel a little bit empty afterwards. Like, like they're, they're things that we, can, that we can fill up on that gives a temporary relief. But he's inviting us, he's challenging us to actually be full of joy in the Lord and That's why I believe it is something that we choose, but I don't think it's just one of those like, hey, hey guys, just snap out of it. Choose joy. I think that could actually be quite damaging. So so it's not just, hey guys, hey, hey, put your finger out. Just like, what's wrong with you? Be happy. No. (laughs) I sang Don't Worry, Be Happy this morning. That ain't happening again. Anyone remember Bobby McFerrin? And Don't Worry, Be Happy? Hey, who remembers Bobby McFerrin? Don't Worry, Be Happy. These are all the old people, okay? <laughs> See, the young people don't know who Bobby McFerrin is. Come on. Okay, okay. I'll do it if we do this together, right? Right? Who knows, who knows the tune? Don't worry. 
Come on, I see old people not singing. Be happy. Anyone know the next line? Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note, so don't worry. Boom, 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 Be happy. Wait. Wait, wait, wait. In this life, he goes on, he goes on. In this life, you may have some trouble, but don't worry, it'll make a double, right? That's what he says, Bobby McFerrin. I think he might've been high, but that's what he said in Don't Worry, Be Happy, okay? Thank you, Glenn. Only person standing up for me. Uh, so, so we're not saying, hey, don't worry, be happy with a Rasta accent and something else on the side, okay? That, that's, that's not what we're suggesting. But when we say, that it is a choice, I would argue that it's a hundred little choices or that it's possibly a thousand little choices that we keep making, that we keep sowing. And so when we say that choices lead and feelings follow, we're not, we're not trying to deny feelings. We are saying that, that feelings are gonna follow our choices eventually. And so that's why you want the long-term feeling of joy. So it may be a short-term feeling of frustration or denial or pain or delayed gratification, but you want the long-term feeling. That's also, I love what Craig Rochelle says, and we, we quote this regularly, we've did it in our habit series as well, that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. He's not saying what losers do occasionally. He's saying just what other people, like normal people, Normal people will spend some time with God occasionally. But if you wanna have a successful, healthy, vibrant, vital relationship with God, then you're gonna try and do it consistently. Not perfectly, not perfectly. I don't spend the same kind of time with God every day. I try and spend time with God every day. It's not always the same. I don't always spend the kind of time I want to. I don't always have the connection I want to. But it is an important habit that, I, that, I, that I'm willing to fight for in my life. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And so Paul actually goes on to, to explain to us, and we'll finish unpacking this next week. So seriously, those of you that don't necessarily plan on coming next week, come next week, okay? Because I wanna finish unpacking this for you. I'm not joking. This will change your life potentially. It has changed mine. This chapter, Philippians chapter four, it's my chapter at the moment and for the last several years. I'm just telling you, it's kind of like a life chapter for me. I can tell you at the end of my life, if it has remained a life chapter, but right now for the last few years, this has probably become one of the most important chapters that I've been building my relationship with God, my life on. So Paul goes on to, to kind of unpack how prayer is key to joy. And the first point, and that's the only one I'm gonna touch on, the rest we're gonna get to next week, is that prayer actually replaces worry. I mean, it does so much more than that, and so we'll get into it more, but take a look at Philippians chapter four, verse six. Like if there's a verse that's worth memorizing, it is Philippians chapter four, verse six. He says, don't worry about anything. And again, he's not patronizing you. He's saying, no, no, there's, there's an alternative. He's not saying that there won't be things to worry about. He's saying, he's saying there probably will be, but instead of worrying, pray about everything. So, so we actually have 
a rally cry in our church that we don't rally around all that often, but we try and remind you from time to time called Pray First. Some of you have seen the, the bands, some of you have bought some of the wristbands over the years. We've got some of them on sale at the info table uh, after the service as well. But it's just, it's literally just got those two words in it, pray first. It's black, it's simple. You can wear it with your suit if you have to. And some of us should. Some of us need to be reminded that prayer is not our last resort. That it's our first response. I mean, God is so kind that he'll often answer it even when it's our last resort. But why would we want to keep making it our last resort? Let it be our first response. So he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Chris Hodges says that what we worry about most reveals where we trust God the least. What we worry about most reveals where we trust God the least. And I've got to tell you, there have been many times in my life where I've worried way more than I should. And it hasn't been worried as though, as though I feel like I can really control it, but it's been a worry as though I feel bad if I'm not worrying. Like, do I care enough if I'm not worrying and carrying this burden? And it nearly killed me on more than one occasion. Like, it nearly took me out. It nearly took me out of my relationship with God, took me out of my, out of my responsibilities in ministry because I thought that caring and carrying were the same things. And they weren't. We can care, but God carries our burdens. And so with very few boundaries and with, and with a misunderstanding of what healthy love looks like and healthy care looks like, I would often worry about, I mean, this might sound strange to you. Almost none of the worry I'm talking about was related to me personally. Some of you can relate to that. Like it has, there have been so few occasions in my life. Like I have so, I, I, I can't explain this to you. I don't easily get offended for myself. I can get offended for people though. And then I can want to hurt the people that are offending them. I, I, don't, I don't get overly worried about my future. Actually, I don't think at all. Please Lord, don't test me in that. I don't think so. But I can worry about other people. I can worry that they're going to kill themselves. I can worry that, they, that stuff's going to happen to them. I can worry that they're not going to get a job. I can worry that they're not going to have the income. And, and I'm saying that over the years, God has had to teach me, Jason, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why do you think we've put that scripture on there? If for nobody else, it's for me. Because I need to be constantly reminded that Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry Heavy burdens. You see, I, I, I just related to that part so much for so many years. In fact, someone actually, we've had very few prophecies in our lives. One of them was that one day people are gonna say, like, you just make it look so easy. I'm like, whatever, loser. Like, you know, I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking in my mind. Like, I, I just knew we're so far from making it look easy. In fact, I was at a, I was at a stage in my life, at, I remember at the age of 25, I'm in ministry and I'm thinking I'm the worst advertisement for Christianity right now. I would never say to people, come to God and be like me. I was carrying heavy burdens. I felt like I had to be more responsible than what I actually was. I felt like I had to be the best 60-year-old version of myself, not the best 25-year-old version of myself. That should release some of you, okay? Just be the best version of who God's called you to be right now. If you're 18, God, who do you want me to be as an 18-year-old? If you're 25, 25, 35, and so on. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle 
at heart and you will find rest for your souls. And I'm, I'm just testifying that more and more and more and more over the last few years, largely applying the principles that I'm trying to share with you, I have come to find rest for my soul. I've come to find, a, and, I, and I'm hoping that, and I believe that, that it has so much more to grow, but I've come to find so much more rest. All I can tell you is that right now, at the stage of my life, I'm probably carrying more responsibility than I've ever had before, but I'm telling you, I've got more peace with God than I've ever had. There, there is more rest than I've ever had. I'm hoping there's gonna be a whole bunch more because there'll be a 50-year-old version and a 60-year-old version. But I can honestly tell you that trying to strengthen that personal relationship with God, you will find rest for your souls for His yoke is easy to bear. And the burden that He gives you is light, which made me realize slowly but surely that clearly the burdens I was carrying were not the burdens He'd given me because they weren't light. And the, and the yoke that I had attached myself to clearly was not his yoke because it was hard to bear. He invites us, going back to the verse, not to worry about anything. Instead, to pray about everything. Tell God what you need. What that means is to actually, is to actually put your needs down at the feet of our Father and leave it there. That's the hard part. Because, because sometimes we misunderstand His responsibility and ours. And we do have responsibility, everybody. Make no mistake. And we have to be diligent and good stewards of our responsibility. But there are things that you, that you know that you've done what you can. But now I've got to lay, I've got to lay the rest down at His feet. So when it comes to people, for example, I've got to know when I've done what I can. God, I'm going to lay them at your feet. And that's, that's hard for me to do sometimes. Isn't it crazy as though God would love them less than me? As though God would be less burdened for people than me? That's a very arrogant subconscious assumption. Like it's quite a, it's quite a, it's quite a heretical, offensive, almost blasphemous thought that God would care less than I do. Like, I'm so special. No, no. No, no. God loves. Whoever you think you care about, God loves them so much more. God is so much, for, so much more for them than what I am. So I've got to, so, so to present my request, I've got to lay it down and walk away. Walk away carrying what you need to take responsibility for, but walk away having left what only God can take responsibility for. And then, Lastly, before we wrap up, thank Him for all that He has done. Thank Him for all that. Guys, I'm just telling you, if you don't read another scripture, some of this, this is going to freak some of you out. Just hear what I'm saying. If you don't read another scripture for the next month and you just chew on that one verse, it could change your life. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Some of you think I'm teasing. I'm not. You may need to chew on this scripture, meditate on it day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out until you start applying it. Because it's not just good to, okay, I like it, I agree. That means nothing. I've got to start doing it. 
I've got to start practicing it. That verse on the wall there, there was a time where I spent probably two or three weeks where I, where I read nothing else. I focused on nothing else. I just kept, I kept writing it out. I kept circling words. I kept, I kept chewing on it because I knew, I knew that it hadn't gotten into me yet. I'd read it, but I hadn't, I hadn't absorbed it yet. I, I knew that God was telling me, Jason, you're not ready to move on yet. Like, what's the point? You're going to move on and what? Read more stuff, get more information in the Bible, but you're not going to actually absorb what I'm trying to teach you? Because even the Bible is there to help us in our relationship with God, not information. A friend of ours, the worship team can come on up, told us the other day how when they drive to school in the mornings, They will, so her and her kids will put on uh, the armor of God. You can read up about it in Ephesians chapter six and they've started like adding extra things to the armor of God. And one of the things that they've added is grateful goggles. Grateful goggles. And I love this idea. We'll have a picture up in a moment. I just think it's really cute. This is not them. I just like it as, as a possibility. But, but, but to actually put on a different set of lenses cute right okay I think it's cuter than you do I think it's a cute picture I've worked hard to find that picture okay some of us need to change the lenses through which we are viewing this life and through which we are viewing God and something spiritual starts to take place when we put our gratitude goggles on Something starts to change when we don't focus only on what we need God to do. You can do that, but when we don't focus only on what we need God to do, where we actually look back again through those gratitude goggles and we constantly remind ourselves of what God has done for us already. Psalm 103 talks about how we are not to forget to remember all the good things that God has done for us, how He has saved us, how He has redeemed us, how He has healed us. I wanna encourage you, one of the choices that we have to make again and again and again and again and again and again as we pray, as we connect with God, is to remember what God has done. It is to thank Him for what He has done. And I know that you may be thinking right now, there isn't much for me to thank God for. I get it. But is there something? Is there anything? And and I would challenge you that if you can't find anything to be grateful for, then go and serve somewhere. Go and find some need in the community where you get around broken people, where you get around homeless people, where you get around people that are battling addictions, or where you go and serve in a hospital where you're seeing people that have been maimed, people that have been handicapped, and where you might actually start thanking God for your leg because He doesn't have one. Or you might be thanking God that even though I might be battling many things, God, I'm so grateful and this is not a judgment. I'm just just grateful that right now, in addition to my other challenges, I'm not battling this addiction. Or I'm so grateful that right now, I'm not going through what this person, like, like maybe it just starts to help you actually thank God for things that we take for granted that are actually right in our lives. There's plenty that you might need and that you might be asking God for, but I promise you that there's plenty that we can express gratitude towards. And you'll find that something begins to change as we start to thank God for what He has already done. 
as you start to think about what He's done in your life, as you start to think about what He's done in other people's lives, something starts to change. It's almost as though, even though it could just be like the tiniest little ember, and as you just blow so softly, it's like you start to see, see, see the tiniest little flicker of a flame. Start to start to grow, and then and then and then you're fanning it a little bit more, and it gets bigger and bigger as you remind yourself that He is actually still a faithful God. As you remind yourself that He's actually a wonderful counselor, that He doesn't give up on us, that He is our heavenly Father, that He is our Prince of Peace, that He is the Lord of Heaven's armies, that He is able to heal us, that He is still able to provide for us that He has promised us that if God is for us, no one can be against us. That He has promised us that nothing can separate us from His love. I think it's impossible to actually nurture joy without gratitude, without consciously, regularly putting on those gratitude goggles and trying to see more clearly what God has actually done in our lives. Agreed?